you will uh, stand with me and grab your Bible and turn to the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 4. We'll be reading the first 18 verses. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Pastor Bruce starts a new series. What Jesus came to do for you. And today we're going to look at uh, Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. And the message titled, Jesus came to tell you the truth. And that can be found in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would reveal to us what you would have us to learn uh, and, and to know and understand what you sent your son uh, to this earth to do for us, and to accept that um, as truth into our lives. Open our hearts and minds to learn from uh, your word through Pastor Bruce. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Zach said, we want to begin a a brand new series. In fact, it's going to be a four-week series that we're calling What Jesus Came to Do for You. Now, I, I, I have to admit I love that that Jesus actually came to this earth to do something for me. Because, let's be honest, so many times in this world, it's all about people trying to get something from you. Uh, How many are ready for the elections to be over? Yeah. How many have received phone calls? Yes. And and you're tired of the commercials. And it's all about getting from you. I want your vote, all right? And so we, we understand that in this our society. So this is, for me, a cool concept This idea that Jesus came to do something for us. In fact, that's an amazing concept because when I begin to understand who I am in relation to who Jesus is and he came to do something for me, I'm blown away by that fact. So I'm excited about this four-week series. And I I hope you'll uh, come back next Sunday and and the following and the following for these four messages. But in the Gospels, which would be Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Uh, They they tell us over and over again exactly what Jesus came to do for people like us. And and we see this revealed predominantly in these close encounters that Jesus had with with various people. uh, Common people, rich people. It didn't matter what their background was, what their demographic was, what their socioeconomic level was. He had all kinds of these encounters with various different people. And so for the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're actually going to take a look at four of these close encounters that Jesus had with different people. And you may be wondering, well, okay, but what's the big deal about these close encounters, not of the third kind, by the way, but these close encounters with Jesus? What's the big deal about it? Well, here's the big deal that I I just want to tell you from the get-go in this series. Notice this in your notes. It should be coming up on the screen. Here's what's so remarkable about the close encounters with Jesus. Every time someone had a close encounter with Jesus, it was life-changing. It was life-changing. 
changing. And what I mean by that, they never left the same. Now, don't get me wrong. Some people had a close encounter with Jesus, and they left, not for the better necessarily, because they didn't hear the truth, they rejected Jesus, or they just went off to do their own way. But nevertheless, they left never the same person. If they responded to Jesus Christ, oh man, the change was for the positive. And they experienced a radical change in their life that could only be explained because of what Christ did for them. And we're going to see four things that Christ did for people like you and me. And obviously, this morning, the first thing we're going to see is that Christ came to tell us the truth. Now, again, isn't that ironic that we're studying that and going to see that revealed in a close encounter on a day when this is about deception? Why, why do people dress in costumes? To hide themselves. Of course, we do that without dressing up in costumes, right? We're all about wearing masks and portraying ourselves differently than what we really are on the inside. And so Jesus, we're going to see, came today for one thing to do for you and I is to tell us the truth. Um, now, quite often, Jesus would meet these people as he was traveling. And, and so seldom he would spend... Uh, maybe a, a, a few minutes, a few moments. Sometimes he'd spend a few hours with them. Other times he'd maybe spend a, a half a day or even a whole day with them. And yet Jesus never left these people the same way he found them. Now, if, if we would put it in context for us today, it would be like you sitting at a coffee shop. So imagine, how many enjoy coffee? You, know, you like going to a coffee shop? My favorite place, Starbucks. My birthday's coming up in December, so if you want you know, a gift card, you know. Here's the, it's, I know, it was a shameless plug. My dad and I, we love Starbucks coffee. And so every father, his birthday was just, it was Friday. My dad turned 70. He's right here at the front. Yeah, give it up. Um, and my, my mom's, I won't tell you, her birthday's coming up, so you'll have to ask her. But my, so every Father's Day, every birthday, I always get him the same thing. And what do you think it is? A gift card to Starbucks. And he loves it every time. So, you know, I can never go wrong. It's easy, quick. And, you know, and I'm like, Dad, let's go to Starbucks. On you this time. You know? <laughs> uh, even though I paid for it and bought it for you. Uh, so, anyways, but so think of it. Close encounter with Jesus. What would it be like for us? Well, imagine you're sitting at a, a, a Starbucks or a coffee table for two. And the chair across from your little table there is, is empty. And then Jesus walks in for a cup of coffee, and he sees you sitting there. Now, he doesn't know you. He's never met you before, but he eyes you, and he sees you. And so he sits down next to you. He doesn't ask. He just sits there, and you're like, whoa, what are you doing? Who are you? And, uh, and, and so maybe for the next two hours, you and Jesus begin having this conversation. And, and he begins asking you some questions, and maybe you ask him a few questions, and he just begins dialoguing with you. And he starts asking you questions, and when those questions, it seems like he's known you all your life. But you've never met him before. And you begin to respond to him, and when Jesus leaves, you have some real sobering decisions to make about your life. That's what it would be like if Jesus were walking on the earth today, in our context, just a little bit. Now, what I love about these close encounters between Jesus and these men and women is it it seems at one level these people were out looking for Jesus. But let me tell you, on a much deeper level, Jesus was out looking for them, which reminds me of a story. A man calls a house, and a little boy answers the phone and with a whisper, Hello? And the man says, Can I speak to your mommy? And the little boy says, She's busy. And so the man says, Can I speak to your daddy? And the little boy says, He's busy too. Well, the man's now curious, so he says, Well, is there anybody else at home? Yes, the police are here. Now the guy's really concerned. And he said, can I speak to the police officer? No, he's busy too. So now the guy's kind of panicking, and he says, so is there anybody else at home? And the little boy said, yes, the firemen are here. And he says, can I speak to the fireman? No, they're busy too. 
Well, now the man, he's, he's just really frustrated by now. And so he says, young man, what are they all busy about? The little boy said, they're looking for me. <laughs> now today, listen, we're going to discover that that's exactly what Jesus is doing with you and me. He's looking for us. He's pursuing us. In fact, that's my prayer during the course of this series for us this morning. Is that over the next four weeks, you'll come to discover that God is looking for you. And you'll also discover what he came to do just for you. And so today we're going to discover on this first close encounter that Jesus came to tell us the truth as we observe a close encounter between Jesus and this woman with a guilty past. Now, she's typically, this woman with this guilty past is typically called or known as the woman at the well. And and, and one reason why she's known as the woman at the well is because we don't know her name. The Bible doesn't tell us her name. And another reason is that's where Jesus meets her. And that's where Jesus has this close encounter with her is at this well, Jacob's well specifically and where they talk. And so in this seemingly chance encounter that just happens by accident, but we're going to find out that's not the case, Jesus tells her two things. He tells her the woeful truth about herself. But he also tells her the wonderful truth about himself. But get this. The wonderful truth this encounter reveals about Jesus gives us hope about our woeful condition. And that's why at the end of this brief encounter with Jesus, this woman at the well's life is radically changed forever. I mean, she leaves never the same person again. She's totally different, and it's for the positive. And so let's dive into this close encounter, and let's discover some truths that Jesus came to reveal to us. Here's the first one. Let's discover the wonderful truth about Jesus Christ. The wonderful truth about Jesus. Now, in this story, we need to understand that geography is an all-important issue in understanding this encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well. In fact, a map should be coming up on the screen here. And in Jesus' day, there were basically three regions that were stacked up on, one, stacked up on each other. You had Galilee in the north, as you see in the map, And you had Samaria in the middle, and you had Judea in the south. And the easiest and quickest way to get to Galilee from Judea was to go which way? To go straight, right? It's the easiest way. If you're going to travel north or south, uh, the quickest way to get to one another is to go straight, a direct route through Samaria. Now, the Bible tells us as John 4 begins to open up, we're told that Jesus left Judea in the south, and he went through Samaria as he traveled to Galilee in the north. And we're like, okay, yeah, no, no big deal. But the way John tells us raises a question for us. Notice what it says in verse 4. But he, that is speaking of Jesus Christ here, needed or had to go through Samaria. Now, immediately the question that ought to be going up in our minds is this. Why did Jesus need to or have to go through Samaria? And the answer reveals the first wonderful truth about Jesus. And that is Jesus is graciously purposeful. You could even, instead of writing the word purposeful, you could say missional. Jesus is graciously missional or purposeful. John underscores this from the start. In John chapter 4, by using this word need, some of your translations may say had to. In those two words, it's a verb implying necessity or obligation. Now, while it may, might be assumed Jesus had to go through Samaria because it was, well, the obvious, it was the direct route, it was a shorter way to get to Galilee up in the north, the reality was, get this, most Jews took the longer journey around Samaria. But why? I mean, especially, you know, hey, listen, if I... If I'm going to travel from Liberty over to Zona Rosa, there's only one road I'm taking, right? And what road is that? 152. 
Why would I take I-35 and come all the way down here and then take I-29 all the way north? Who in their right mind would do that? Right? So why would most Jews take the longer journey around Samaria to either get to Galilee or to go south to Judea? Well, because the Jews, as some of you know, hated the Samaritans. They hated them. And Samaria was a part of the country you avoided at all costs. Samaria was a place of racial half-breeds. In other words, the Samaritans were part Jew and they were part Gentile, which goes all the way back as a result of the Assyrian captivity in 727 B.C. when some of the Jews started intermarrying with their captives, the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were a pagan people. They were Gentiles. And now the Jews that were left there in the captivity were starting to intermarry. intermarry. And so the pure Jews, if you will, if I can say it that way, they viewed these half-breeds, the Samaritans. They looked down on them. But it's not just that they were racial half-breeds. Samaria was a place of religious heresy as well. Because it wasn't long before this Samaritan people group began to develop their own religion. And they took a little bit of religion based on the paganism of the Assyrians, and they took a little bit of the religion based on Judaism, and they combined the two along with some other stuff, and they had formed their own religion. And and then to add to the mix, since they couldn't worship in Jerusalem in the temple for the Jews, well, they built their own temple because they needed a place to worship. Well, and the Jews looked down on that too, and as you can imagine... Let me tell you, there was no love lost between these two people groups. So the Jews avoided the Samaritans at all costs. You could think of it this way. Think of the animosity between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and you've got the idea. Nonetheless, John tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But again, that begs the question, why? Listen, it's not because Jesus was in a hurry. When Jesus was on this earth, he, he operated on God's divine standard time. Had can only mean one thing. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he was on a mission to meet someone. It was on purpose. Jesus was keeping a divine appointment with a woman with this guilty past. And he wanted to see her life radically changed. He wanted to offer her forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. After all, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that the reason Jesus came, his whole mission in life was to seek and to save that which was lost. And this woman with this guilty past was lost. And Jesus was graciously missional in going through Samaria. He was keeping a divine appointment here. Now understand, nothing in this close encounter happens by chance. Every detail is part of the outworking of God's well. This woman at the well isn't looking for Jesus. But let me tell you, Jesus is looking for her. Jesus doesn't avoid Samaria, and he doesn't hurry through it because Jesus is graciously missional in seeking out those who are lost and without hope. That's the first wonderful truth we see in this story, in this encounter, and that's exactly what takes place in this encounter, which brings us to the second wonderful truth about Jesus. Jesus is graciously relational. He's graciously relational. Now, notice again, how this close encounter begins to unfold between Jesus and this woman with this guilty past. Look what it says. According to verse 5, it says, Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, or Sychar, however you want to pronounce it. Verses 6 through 7 tells us, Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, as you can imagine, we all would be. They traveled by foot back then sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour, and all that means is it was noontime, okay? It was 12 o'clock noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And so Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now let me tell you, she's blown away by this. She is shocked by Jesus' request for a drink. And so she says to him in verse 8, 
How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And then John adds this little detail, this little phrase at the end. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And that little phrase literally means Jews don't use together with Samaritans. In other words, the Jews don't use the same road as the Samaritans. The Jews don't use the same temple as the Samaritans. The Jews don't use the same religion as the Samaritans. The Jews don't use the same anything as the Samaritans. Why? Because they hate them and they look down upon them. And in this case, especially, the Jews don't use the same drinking bucket or the same cup to take a drink of water with. It's unclean. Now, you've got to step back a little bit, because what John is painting here, he's painting a picture for us. And he's painting here, it's the ultimate picture of an outsider being graciously pursued by Jesus Christ. This woman comes out to draw water at noon, and that's not by accident, folks. And she comes out to draw water by herself, which is no accident. Now, here's why that's not an accident, and here's why it's also a problem. In that culture, women would go out to the well in either the cool of the evening or the cool of the morning. They would never go in the hottest part of the day, and they would never go alone for security reasons. And the reason, though, this woman is alone at midday is because... She is a social outcast. She's got a guilty past. And let me tell you, the whole village knows about it. She's a woman who has been shunned by her village. And now, think about it, she's having this conversation with the very Son of God. Now, how cool is that? Man, that is amazing. But do you see what's happening here in this encounter? Jesus is pursuing this, quote, unacceptable relationship with a woman who is a Samaritan outcast. To do so, Jesus broke all kinds of taboos, all kinds of cultural taboos, century-old taboos. He traveled, first of all, through Samaria. He spoke to a Samaritan, which you don't do. He spoke to a woman who was an adulteress, as we're going to find out. And he asked her for a drink, and the only cup to drink from was hers. You just don't do this. Now, why would Jesus do it, though? Why would he stand out? Because he is graciously relational with those he's pursuing. And in this close encounter, we see the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, it is without prejudice. He doesn't care what your background is. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what your socioeconomic class is. He doesn't care anything about that. He's without prejudice because the only thing that matters is this woman's soul, her eternity, and the same is true for you and I. It matters not to him that others would not travel through Samaria. It matters not that others would not speak to this woman. Jesus welcomes all and he shuns none. Why? Because he's graciously missional. He's here for a purpose. It's to seek and to save that which is lost. And he is graciously relational. He desires a relationship with you. And now we see the third wonderful truth about Jesus. He is graciously superior. He's graciously superior. You see this woman at the well. She thinks Jesus is just talking about agua. Physical water to meet a physical thirst. But Jesus, let me tell you, he's engaging her at a spiritual level, and he offers her something far superior to what she's ever been offered before. Now, you can only imagine a woman who is adulterous with a guilty past what she's been offered. And really, it hasn't that she's been offered, she's been taken from in one relationship after the other. And now Jesus turns that and he begins to offer her something, even though it first appears that he's asking her for something, but it's all for a purpose, to engage her at a level that she doesn't quite understand yet. Notice what Jesus says to this woman in verse 10. 
if you knew the gift of God and who it, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus is offering her a gift that is graciously superior to anything she's ever received in her life. Jesus is offering her living water that can meet her soul's deepest needs. But she still thinks Jesus is just talking about H2O. And so she looks around and says in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. In other words, you don't have a bucket. And the well is deep. How in the world are you going to get water? Where then do you get that living water? You see, she still just doesn't get it. And that's why she says, listen, you don't even have a bucket. Who do you think you are in offering me this gift? See, she doesn't understand yet that Jesus is graciously superior. And yet, and yet, she begins to sense some kind of claim to superiority in Jesus. And so she asked him in verse 12, look at it, are you greater than our father Jacob? Now you've got to understand, the Samaritans and the Jews both claim Jacob as their patriarchal father. It goes back to the Old Testament, so they both respect him. Are you greater than father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Well, is Jesus greater than Jacob? Do you think Jesus is greater? Well, look at Jesus' answer. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Allow me to paraphrase what Jesus is saying to her. Yes, ma'am, I'm superior to Jacob. And my gift is superior. And my water is superior. And my well is superior. And whoever drinks of this water is superior because they will never thirst and never die. Do you realize what Jesus is saying? He is saying, if we could summarize it this way, my superiority is your salvation. It's your salvation. Yes, man, I'm superior to Jacob, but I'm not arrogantly superior. Listen, I'm graciously superior, and my superiority is your salvation. You have a thirst that you can't quench, but I have living water that can quench your thirst. And if you will just drink of it, if you will believe on me as your ever-satisfying Savior, Jesus is basically saying, you will never thirst again and you will live forever. In other words, Jesus is offering her a spiritual gift. A gift that can only come from the Son of God. A gift that will satisfy her internally and eternally. But she still doesn't see it. She still doesn't taste it. She still doesn't get it because she's spiritually blind. She needs the truth to invade her. And so Jesus graciously begins to show her the truth, not only about himself, but he begins to lead her on a journey of showing her the woeful truth about herself, which brings us to our second point. The second part of this close encounter reveals the woeful truth about you and I. It reveals the woeful truth about ourselves. You see, so far, all that this water means to this woman at the well is that it could save her the trouble of coming to the well in the heat of the day. Now, who doesn't want that? Man, we all would if we were in her shoes. Which explains why she says to Jesus in verse 15, look at it. Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here. Here? Where? To this well. To this well at noon. I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to come to the well at noon in the hardest part of the day. I don't want to come to this well in isolation. 
because I'm a woman with this guilty past and everybody's shunning me. I don't want to keep coming here. And if you can alleviate that and make my life comfortable, I'm all for it. Give it to me. But then comes a stunning twist, seemingly out of the blue. In verse 16, look at it. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And how does she respond? Look at it. Notice verses 17. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, oh, you have said well. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the other one whom you now have is not your husband. In other words, she's living with him. In that, you spoke truly. And the woman is blown away by this, and that's why she says in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, and indeed he was. So what we are doing in this encounter, I hope you are seeing it, we are moving from now the wonderful truth about Jesus to the woeful truth about this woman. You see, Jesus knows her guilty past. And Jesus knows her secret presence. And so Jesus tells her in verse 18, you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Now, what do we learn from this? I mean, what woeful truth about ourselves here this morning can we learn from this woman's encounter with Jesus? Well, I think there are three truths that I want us to draw out of this. Number one is the first truth is my guilty past can cause present pain. You know what I'm talking about? Been there, done that, right? My guilty past can cause present pain. You see, Jesus knows this woman's guilty past is making it, folks, listen to me, painful, woefully painful to come to the place where all the women gather and talk. You have to understand the well in that culture is like a community point. It'd be like Starbucks. You go to Starbucks, and let me tell you, I go to Starbucks every Monday morning on my day off, and I'm there for about an hour to two hours, and it's the same people normally there all the time, and I've got to know them. I, I, I'm on a fir- I, they're acquaintances. I'm on a first-name basis with a lot of them. It's the community place. And so the well is our, our 21st century Starbucks. And it's where all the place, but you understand this woman is not invited to Starbucks. She's not allowed through the door because she's got this guilty past and they all know about it and they're shunning her for it. She's an outcast. She's on the outside looking in, but Jesus, the Son of God, is pursuing her, graciously doing so because he cares about her. And that's why she says in verse 15, man, I'll take your water so I don't have to come to this well every day. I'm tired of living this. I'm tired of coming here as an outcast. This woman's life was a miserable chain of unfulfilling relationships. And the fact that she had married five times, man, listen to me, it indicates that she longed for fulfillment. And each time, she was disappointed. And so now as she comes to the well at noon, she is worn down with the scars of hurt, the wounds of being rejected, the kind that comes from being the source of someone else's gratification. And above all, she's filled with this deep longing and this thirst for something better. And yet, oh, like we all do, she tries to hide. She tries to hide it all. She tries to hide her guilty past and the present pain from the very one who knows her best. You ever try to hide something from God? Let me ask you, how'd that go? How'd that work for you when you tried to hide something from God? Reminds me of a story in a Florida newspaper a few years back about a woman who had to spend time in this Jamaica prison. And she was from Florida, and she tried to smuggle about two pounds of cocaine into Jamaica. And she tried to smuggle it by hiding it in her hair. Well, try to hide two pounds of cocaine in your hair. Let me tell you, you're going to have some pretty big hair. And that's what tipped off the authorities, and they caught her. But you know what? That's us. We are just like that woman trying to hide two pounds of cocaine in our hair, except we try to hide it in our hearts. We try to hide our past and our present secrets from God. I mean, 
what, what's, why is it that we think we can smuggle our sins past God and act as if he doesn't know about it and he doesn't see it? I mean, how stupid is that? And yet we all try, don't we? In fact, we do all kinds of things to try to hide. We do all kinds of things to try to deal with our sin problem in our lives. But here's probably the top two things we do is, first of all, we try to just ignore our sin, hoping it will just go away. But it never does. And, and that's all that's called is denial. Denial. And yet the Bible tells us so clearly in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So ignoring our sin, denying it, listen, it's a very ineffective way if we ever hope to deal with the sin issue in our problem in our lives. It doesn't work. And so we figure that out, and what we do, second, we just simply indulge our sin. And since we can't really ignore our sin, we just give into it over and over again. We repeat the process over and over again, and that leaves us empty. It leaves us hurt and filled with guilt just like this woman. And that's what this woman at the well was living. That was her life experiences. She went down the same road with a different man, and she kept getting the same results. Emptiness and a broken heart. So Jesus said to her, go. Go, bring your husband. And she tried to dodge that bullet, like we do so often when God begins to confront us about the truth of who we are on the inside. But Jesus knew about her guilty past of five husbands, and he knew about her present secret of now living with another man because you just can't hide your guilty past. You can't hide your present secrets or even the pain in your heart from God. So let me encourage you to take a step towards the truth this morning. That truth is right here. Look at it in your notes. And that's to be honest. To be honest. It's the first step. Be honest with yourself. This is who I am. I'm a sinner. And I'm trying to hide from God. But he's chasing me down. And then be honest with God about your sinfulness. Do you know what's true? Since this is a lesson on truth, do you know what's true? In a crowd this size, in an auditorium with this many people, let me tell you, there are people here this morning who honestly believe God doesn't know how I'm living. God doesn't know the secrets of my life. But folks, listen, if this encounter teaches us anything, it teaches us that God knows all about our past sins and present secrets as well as the pain it causes in our life. God sees behind our masks to the reality within our hearts. And until you and I, until we come to grips with our sinfulness, we cannot be saved. We cannot drink of the living water that Jesus offers to you and I. And this brings us to our second truth. Jesus knows all about me. Man, that's a scary thought, isn't it? Jesus knows all about me. He knows about the good, the bad, and the ugly. But here's the cool thing, and he still loves you anyways. Woo! Now that's something to get excited about. Jesus knows all about me and still loves me anyways. The very reason we try to hide our sins from God is because we, we have this convoluted idea that God won't like us if he discovers everything about us. But this encounter, again, it reveals the truth that Jesus knows all about me and still loves me anyway. You see, sin cannot separate us from the love of God. Oh, we can separate you from the presence of God if you don't respond to the gift of God. But it will not separate you from the love of God. And that's why Jesus pursues us with this wonderful truth about who he is as Christ, as Messiah, as the prophet, and the woeful truth about ourselves. Now, let me ask you a question here, because there's probably one or two of you, maybe three, four, five, maybe a handful, that are thinking, man, Jesus is being cruel here. I can't believe he would have the audaciousness and the boldness to just come out and expose all this woman's baggage. Who does he think he is? So let me ask you, 
Do you think Jesus was being unloving? Do you think he was being cruel to the Samaritan woman by exposing the truth, the woeful truth about herself? I submit to you, the answer is no. What Jesus is doing, he's moving into her inner life. And he's forcing her to deal with the inside, the secret places of her life. Why? Because the living water that Jesus offers is for the inner person. This is not water you drink with your mouth. It's water you drink with your heart. This water is for the soul, not the body. It's living water that if this woman will drink by faith, would become a well of water springing up to eternal life, into joy and to satisfaction. It's her soul that's thirsty. And she doesn't know it yet. And so Jesus, because He's graciously missional and He's graciously relational and He's graciously superior, is going after the heart. He's opening it up and He is exposing it. He's exposing the truth so she understands her greatest need in life. is not what some relationship can offer her, but what the Son of God can give to her. Just think about it. No woman goes through sexual relationships with six men without either starting off desperately thirsty or ending desperately thirsty. You say, well, what happened with these six relationships? Listen, either she can't find in a man what she's craving so desperately, and so she moves on from one to the other to the next, desperately believing men are the, quote, water she's thirsting for, or these men can't find in her what they are craving. And so they drop her like a hot potato. And the other one drops her. And the other one drops her. Or it's a combination of both. In either case, let me tell you, this woman is left with a deep, deep emptiness and sinfulness that is so painful that she seals it up. And there's no entrance into her heart at all. And so Jesus intentionally begins to expose her inner life. But folks, listen to me. It's not to condemn her. It's not to rehearse the details. He brought it up to expose the true thirst in her soul because he loves her so much, just as he does you and I. You say, well, what does all this mean for me? That was 2,000 years ago. I'm now living today, and I got my own issues, my own guilt, my own secrets. What does this mean for me now? It means we need to take a second step toward the truth. Believe that God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you enough not to leave you that way. And that's why Jesus exposes the woeful, painful truth in our lives that we're trying to hide. Jesus is compassionate and aggressive and surgical and relentless in his love. He knows all about your past, all about your present secrets and pain. And so let me encourage you to believe that the one who knows you best loves you most. But Jesus also loves you too much to let you stay as you are. Someone once said, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. So often we let our past and the baggage in our past, the guilt and shame in our past, we let it define who we are in the present. But folks, listen, you are so much more than your past. God is offering you a future. Yes, God knows about your past, but he also knows what you can be in Christ. He knows the satisfaction you can find in Christ. And that's why Jesus offers you, just as he did this woman at the well, living water of a new and eternal life. And this leads us to our third and final truth. Only Jesus can satisfy my deepest need. Are you meeting yourself in this woman? Are you seeing yourself? Just like this woman, we are spiritually thirsty. And Jesus is the only one who can quench our soul's thirst. That's why Jesus says in John 4.10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, if you think about it, it's fitting that this Samaritan woman comes to the well and what does she carry with her? A bucket. 
a bucket to draw water, to quench her thirst. This woman at the well, I believe, illustrates our thirst for something more fulfilling in life. One of the evidences that we have yet to drink of the living water Jesus offers. One of the evidences that we are still spiritually thirsty in our lives is that we are unstable like this woman. Always moving from one thing to the next, seeking to fill the void that only Jesus can fill. And you may move through sexual partners like she did, or through friends, or jobs, or churches, or hobbies, or hairstyles, or wardrobes, or cars, or locations, it doesn't matter, but every time you come up empty. You're never satisfied, and you're always thirsting for more. Listen, Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us about ourselves through this woman at the well. But he's also teaching us about his glorious sufficiency as living water and as the Savior. Jesus says in John 4, look at it again, verses 13 and 14, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Speaking of physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And so what is Jesus offering with this living water? Simply, he's offering to meet your deepest need of satisfaction and salvation for your soul. He's offering, he's offering you and I forgiveness for all our sins. He is offering you the gift of eternal life. And he's offering you the power to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And you say, man, that's what I want. That's what I need in my life. That's what I crave in my life. I want to drink of this living water. And I want to satisfy my fullest thirst. How does it happen? Well, you have to take this third and final step toward the truth. And that is to admit your emptiness. Admit your emptiness and accept Jesus' offer of satisfaction. Let me explain. You must first admit your emptiness. And what I mean by that is you must admit, you have to admit, Jesus, I have tried to fill my life my way, and I'm still thirsty. Please forgive me for my sins, Lord. Jesus, I need what only you can offer. And then you accept Jesus' offer of satisfaction. And you basically cry out to God. You pray these words, Lord, I accept you as my Savior and the gift of eternal life that you promised. There's an old gospel song that perhaps some of you have heard before. And the chorus goes like this. Listen to the words. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only he can change your heart and make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew. Sweet love and joy in heaven too. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. That's what the woman at the well needed. And folks, that's what we need. For only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, Anyone, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. Listen, we're so thirsty. We are one of the most thirstiest, if I could say that, nations and country and people ever to live. We are dying of thirst, spiritually speaking. We are thirsty for a clean conscience. We're thirsty for a pure heart. We're thirsty for the forgiveness of sins. And we're thirsty for peace with God. We're thirsty for satisfaction. We're thirsty for eternal life. And folks, listen, only Jesus can quench this thirst. And that's exactly what he's offering to you today. Now before we close, and I know this message has gone longer than normal, but I want to point out one crucial phrase in verse 10. When Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
Now, right now, I want you to ponder those three words. If you knew. If you knew. If you knew the gift of God that's offering, and if you knew who he was, the truth of Jesus Christ, the wonderful truth, and if you knew your woeful condition as a sinner without hope and who is thirsting and can never be quenched of that thirst because you're seeking it in all the wrong places. And if you knew, if you only knew the wonderful truth about Jesus and the woeful truth about yourself, would you admit your emptiness? And would you ask Him for living water? Do you know? Do you know the truth this morning? About yourself? Do you know the truth about Jesus Christ? If so, cry out to Him. Ask Him for His living water. Winston Churchill once said, Men and women occasionally stumble over the truth, but most pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Folks, I beg of you, don't hurry off this morning as if nothing has happened, as if you haven't heard the truth, I plead with you to pause long enough this morning and to allow the truth of Jesus Christ and who you are to penetrate your heart. The truth that He offers you living water. Let's pray. With your heads bowed. Listen this morning, if you're thirsty, and I mean deeply, spiritually thirsty, then I wonder if you can hear the gentle voice of God's Spirit saying to you, come just as you are. Taste the living water of Jesus Christ and you will never thirst again. Listen, if God is speaking to you, if He's tugging at your heart, don't don't quench it. Respond. Let God draw you in. And here's how you can make that happen in your life. Right now, I want to invite you to pray with me. Just repeat after me these words in the quietness of your heart, sincerely meaning it. Dear Lord, I admit my emptiness. Forgive me for my sins in trying to find satisfaction apart from you. I accept your gift of eternal life. And I surrender my life to you. And Lord, with your help, I will follow you as my Savior and Lord. Listen, Kirk's going to sing. And as he does, let me encourage you to come to the well, the living water that Jesus offers. And maybe you prayed that prayer. Why don't you use this time to, to thank him? Listen, if you prayed that Christ says that you're a new creation and the Spirit indwells you, and I would love to hear about it. I'd love to know about it. And you can fill out a communication card on the side of your bulletin, but perhaps there's others here who, man, you've, you've just, you're searching in the wrong place. Do business with God right now.